Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Hey everybody, my name's Kathy and I'm an anorexic. It's great to be here. You know, I used to go to a kitchen sink meeting. Is this the same kitchen sink meeting that was in West Hollywood? Um, yes, boy, I mean, that's way back. Um, I came to program uh, first at the end of 1985. My, I went to my first meeting at the end of 1985, but it was in February 1986 when I really found the meeting that I needed to attend. It was um, an anorexic bulimic meeting. It was very important for me to be at an anorexic bulimic meeting back then and to hear terms and language that I understood. And I did that at the federal building in Westwood twice a week. And that's where I got abstinent. Uh, and I've been abstinent now for, um, 37 years, which is so bizarre because I don't know if any, anybody who's been around for a long time remember, uh, Jean and Dorothy, these two sisters, um, older sisters, and they were like the old timers. And, you know, I remember looking at them and, and Dorothy used to wear her lipstick kind of like, uh, Betty Davis in her later years, it was like really all over the place. And, um, and I thought, um, wow, she's some character. And now I think, oh my God, am I that character? But what the hell, whatever, you know, I'm 67 and that's the way it goes. Um, so just to give you a little background, um, uh, about me and where my eating disorder blossomed. Uh, I grew up in New York, in Queens specifically, um, in um, a middle-class Jewish family. I was the youngest of three girls. Um, and I was always struggling to get attention. And in fact, I, I, at one point I developed nodules on my vocal cords because I was straining to get attention. And I was, ne- I never felt in, like I was enough, even from a very young age. I never felt like I was enough. I always worked so hard to do things perfectly. I always had to be perfect. And, um, I was always, looking for the approval of my parents and they were not easy with their approval. My father was a perfectionist and my mother was um, stingy with her approval. She really was. Um, So it was a hard job. And so going into the, uh, I was, you know, I, I, I was, relatively happy kid, I guess, in elementary school and even middle school. But when I got into high school, I became really unhappy. I was lonely. My, I was changing. My friendships were changing. The people that I was best friends with 
I wasn't best friends with anymore. And I was really lonely. I was really lonely. And I was, I was different. I was just different. Um, and I was miserable living at home. My two older sisters are, were already away at college and I was subject, uh, subjected to the unrelenting scrutiny of my parents. You know, I was the only one there and oh my God, it was just horrible. And I was smart enough to accelerate through school. And I was also born in October. So, um, I was young and I found a way to graduate six months earlier, even an an additional six months earlier. I'd already skipped a year in middle school, additional six months earlier. Um, And I graduated in December of 1971. Uh, I had just turned 16 in October and I went away to college in January. So I was young, but I was so ready. I was so ready to be away. So I, um, I was, I, I blossomed in college. I really did. It was, it was great for me. I, I made friends. I discovered more of who I was and, um, and I met this friend who became my best friend very quickly and very intensely. And I really depended on her. And um, we would do everything together. And through the throughout this all, I was I was not a not a very good eater. I didn't eat like health healthy. Um my mother was not, you know, into she was into frozen and canned foods. So I didn't have a lot of fresh vegetables and fruits and that kind of thing. Um so I wasn't used to that. So, and I was, and I didn't eat salad at all. I hated salad so that when we would get like submarine sandwiches, mine were like all meat. Like I would get like double meat sandwiches. Um, and, um, and I was starting to gain weight. I was, you know, like a lot of college freshmen, I was putting on weight and, uh, I'm five foot four and I weighed 127 pounds which I felt was too much. And I I didn't like the way I looked. And this friend and I decided we would go on a diet together. And like a lot of the other young women on campus, we decided to go to this doctor who gave diet pills to everyone. It didn't matter who you were. He just gave you diet pills. So I went um, and we made an appointment for me and I went and um, and I chose to get, you could make, you could choose between getting like actual speed, like black beauties, as they were called, um, for a month supply, or you could get this other medication, which was a non-amphetamine called Ionamin, and you could get a six month supply, you know, a one month supply with refills. So we went for the volume. We went for the Ionamin and we split the prescription and I, like I did everything, I did everything in a very metered way. I would only allow myself to have a few pills each week. You know, it was everything was very um regimented with me all the time, very regimented, even from childhood on. 
And so I gradually started to lose weight. And I was very happy. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like an, an, a dramatic, uh, loss of weight, but it was gradual, a few pounds. I was very happy. Concurrently, our living situation, uh, had changed and, um, we were not happy in our apartment. We were living with her sister and who was younger, two years younger than we were and another freshman and we were not happy. And we were thinking about whether or not we wanted to move out and get a different place. And we decided we would go home to our respective homes and think it over for the weekend. So I went home to my parents' house. And for the first time, I really opened up to my parents, told them how I was feeling, and decided that it would be best for me to move out. And before before we left... Um, this friend and I, before we left um, to go home, she said to me, whatever you decide is best for you is fine with me. Those were her words. So I decided I needed to move out. So I came back to college, came back to our apartment, and I told her what I decided. And she stopped talking to me completely. Just, I mean, she just completely pulled pulled away from me, and I and I went to wait outside one of her classes, and I said, "I want to work this out." She says, "Well, I don't want to." Spun on her heel and walked away, and it was the most devastating loss to me. She was so important to me, and and she just it was like it was like a lover had dumped me. That's how it felt, and so. I moved out, I moved to a different apartment and I was, I was just miserable without this friend. And, um, I decided that I had to get out of, it was Albany, New York, where I went to school. And I decided I had to get out of Albany and I applied to Queens college, which was near where my parents lived. And I signed up for Queens college for a semester just to get away, kind of readjust, clear my head, et cetera. And I decided in in this time, I was feeling very powerless, very, very vulnerable. And I had this idea that, you know, losing weight felt so good to me. It felt so powerful to me. And I decided that I was going to be the skinniest person alive. That was my goal. I was going to be the skinniest person alive. And I turned to these pills that I had. And I really started working them. Still, you know, still with regimentation. I didn't take them like, uh, you know, one after the other. But I was consistent. And I went from over a period of somewhere between two and three years, I went from 127 pounds down to under 85 pounds. I did not stop. Nothing was enough for me. And this, you know, was a physical manifestation of who I was inside. Nothing was enough for me. Reflected by nothing was enough for my parents. So I internalized that. Nothing was enough for my parents. Nothing was enough for me. And um, I became, obviously, I lost my period. Um and at the urging of my boss in New York, I was working in an ad agency. 
she suggested I go see this internist. And I went, and this was in 1978. And anorexia was not part of the vernacular at that time. And this doctor diagnosed me as anorexic. And I am ever indebted to this man. And he suggested a few different courses of recovery. And one of them that he suggested was a place called the Ackerman Institute for Family Therapy on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And what happened eventually after my father refusing to go and my sister, one of my sisters being mad at me and not wanting to go and my other sister having a baby and not being able to go, eventually we all gathered for family therapy once every other week for a year. And my mother was right there for me. She, you know, is as manipulative and narcissistic as she, she was in her life. She was really right there for me. Um, and she and I were the ones who started the therapy together. And then it expanded to my whole family. And this started me on a path. This started me discovering why I was doing what I was doing and how I could break away and become an adult. Uh, because I was really, I mean, it was really discovered that I was pretty enmeshed with my parents and, and their bad marriage, horrible marriage. Um, so, so I started on a path of recovery and I started to go to therapy on my own. And then I went and I moved out to Los Angeles for a second time, actually, in 1985. And um, in the fall of 85, I contacted my therapist in New York and asked him if there was anybody he could recommend to me in L.A. that I could see. And through one of his patients, I found this woman who... It was an amazing occurrence. You know, she was only in my life for maybe six months. She died. She was in my life and out of my life. But she was the one who introduced me to OA. And the first meeting that she recommended that I go to was this OA for AA meeting. And it met in the basement of a church in Westwood. And at the end of the meeting, everybody stood together and held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. And it was just, it just didn't feel good. It just didn't feel good. And I told her when we, when we, um, when we, uh, met the next time and she said, okay, which was very interesting because she was an older woman, like of my mother's generation. But, you know, my mother would have, would have pushed and pushed and pushed. And here was this older woman who was in a way a mother figure for me and said, okay, which was a very novel experience for me. Wow, somebody listening to my feelings and saying, okay, wow, imagine that. Um, And then this was in November of 85. Then in February of 86, my therapist mentioned to me that she had met a woman who went to an OA meeting that... uh, focused on anorexia and bulimia. And this seemed interesting to me. And she said, maybe you want to give her a call. She gave me her phone number. So I called her as soon as I got home. And 
I've told this story so many times, but it's significant. Um, so I'm on the phone with her and she said, oh, you won't, um, you won't believe some of the things that, you know, the stories that people share. And she said, this one woman shared that she used to chew her food, swallow it, and then bring it right back up and chew it again. And she would do this a few times. And I said, oh, wow, that's crazy or something like that. Meanwhile, thinking someone else does what I've been doing for years. And I never said it out loud to anybody, except one time my sister, one of my sisters caught me doing it and I told her and she went, oh, and then that was it. It never went any further. We never had a long conversation about it. Um, but this woman's telling me about somebody else who who did what I did, which was amazing. And I knew immediately I had to get to that meeting, which I did. And I felt home, at home immediately. And I shared and I cried and I knew I was in the right place. And that's really where my program started in February of 1986. And in April of 1986, I began my first abstinence, which was no more swallowing and swallowing up back up and rechewing my food. Excuse me, we have five minutes left. Thank you. That was the bottom line for me. And that was all I needed to do. And that, and then I was abstinent. I was still not eating very much. I was still counting my calories. I was still meeting out my food. Um, but I wasn't swallowing up. And then, you know, time went by and, and, you know, if, if people would ask me to go to lunch and I'd already had breakfast, I would lie and say, Oh, I can. I have plans. Meanwhile, I knew I couldn't eat breakfast and lunch. That was crazy. Um, until what happened was I got this job in 1989 and I had, I was used to getting like staying up really late at night in my work and staying and going to sleep and sleeping in really late. But, but I got this job where I had to be at work at nine o'clock and there was a lot of food there and people would all get breakfast, like healthy breakfasts. And then we would work and then we would break for lunch. And people would eat lunch after eating breakfast. And I was like, I can't, I, I thought I can't do this. And I would go out to lunch for them and, 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 uh, with them. And, and the, the waiter would ask me what I wanted. And I said, Oh, I'm not hungry. You know, I was just lying. I was just, I mean, there were little lies, but I was lying. I was hungry. I was starving. Uh, until finally one day I was sitting with one of my coworkers and he said, why don't you just, and, and I know this place, every time I pass this place, it's on uh, La Brea, just north. No, it's on Vine, just north of uh, Melrose. And it's in a strip mall over to, when you're traveling south, it's on the left and it's called Flaming Patties. And we were sitting at the counter and he said, why don't you have something? Have like a grilled chicken sandwich or something. And I was so hungry. And I said, okay. And I did it. And it was, and it was a revelation. 
I wasn't getting headaches in the afternoon. I wasn't thinking about food all afternoon. I was concentrating on my work. I was just so much happier. And that's when my abstinence changed to uh, eating three meals a day. And this opened up my life. You know, people would ask me to have lunch and I could have lunch with them. It was, you know, it opened up my social life. It opened up my world. I was part of the... uh, I was part of the human race. So my current abstinence, and I, and I gradually began gaining weight and, you know, still, still was thin. And then over COVID, I gained a lot of weight, but I think I've lost weight since then because I, I weighed myself at the doctor's office and, uh, I weighed less, but I don't, I don't, I don't have a scale. I don't weigh myself. It, it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. It just um, makes me obsess about things. And um, so currently my abstinence is three meals a day and a snack or two. You know, if I'm really hungry, I eat something. Um, I still don't eat big meals. Maybe it's because it take doesn't take much to fill me up. And I still look at calories. And I really wish that I didn't. I mean, that's something that I would really like to let go of in my lifetime. But, you know, I'm not perfect and I'm doing so much better than I was doing. And nobody, nobody says to me, you look too thin, which initially I was missing. You know, I was missing people saying, oh, you're so thin. But I don't hear that anymore. Um, you know, as I said, I'm 67 years old. My body is that of a 67 year old. It is not that of a 30 year old. And there's this part of my brain that thinks if I try hard enough, I will look like a 30-year-old. And I know how crazy that is. I do my best to stay in shape, but I'm 67. And and I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty much okay with that. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I would like to look like a 30-year-old. Honestly, I really would, but I'm not going to. Uh, and I have the wisdom of a 67-year-old, which is great. So I see that my time is running out. I have uh, seven seconds left and this was a really great opportunity. And I'm so looking forward to hearing from everyone else. Thank you so much. Okay, Melissa. Hi, thank you so much for your share. It was lovely. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your higher power, how you connect with your higher power, how you developed your higher power, et cetera? Thank you. Oh boy, that's a... um, that's an interesting question that you asked. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, in the area of agnostic, uh, atheist. Um, when I came into program, I mean, I grew up, I believed in God and then, and then I, I found I developed a, a, a good spiritual connection in, um, in program. But as time has gone by, and, and particularly in the last handful of years, I have found myself moving away from that concept and moving to a more scientific approach to life. Um, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he's somebody that I really look to philosophically. Uh, I don't believe in anything supernatural. Um, I do believe in 
that I, I do certainly believe that I'm not the most powerful thing in the universe. And, um, I know that, uh, there, there is some energy out there that, that, um, that I lean on sometimes, uh, or just it's, it's sometimes I just let go and I'm not letting go and giving it to anything specific, but I'm just letting go. Uh, I'm letting go of my illusion of control and I let things be, you know, I do what I can do and then I let things be. Um, you know, it's, it, and it's been challenging for me to be in program and have these feelings, um, because I do feel like, uh, I'm in the minority here as far as my, uh, point of view on a higher power. Um, I have a very hard time and it really, it's really kind of kept me away from meetings. I have a hard time with the word God. I definitely have a hard time with the male pronouns, uh, ascribed to that. Um, and, uh, you know, anything that's, you know, they say this is not a religious program, but I really feel that it is based in Christianity, um, to some degree. I mean, there is the, I think somebody said at the beginning of the meeting, there's the capitalization of those uh, nouns and pronouns that connote some sort of a higher being. So there, I have some conflict with that and I, and I'm, and I'm answering this very honestly and it's not, may not be what you need to hear or want to hear, but that's the only answer that I can give you. And I, and I hope that um, I hope that you glean something from that. Thanks for asking Melissa. Um, Deb. Thank you so much, Kathy. Wow. Um, so um, Deb Food Addict, can you talk about how relationships have changed, you know, in recovery and what that's been like for you? Well, um, yes. You know, I'm also in Al-Anon, which, um, you know, very specifically focuses on relationships. And I've become a much more honest person. I realize that I do not control anyone else. The only person that I have any, any kind of power over is me and my choices. That's all I can do is make choices that I want to make, but I can't change anyone else except myself. And that has been a big change because, you know, I see how my family operates and it's a, it's a pretty enmeshed and some, and somewhat manipulative uh, system. And, um, I have really to a great degree extricated myself from that pattern. Um, I'm, I'm at the tail end of a divorce. I lived in an unhappy marriage for many, many years. We were, I mean, we, we technically are still married and it will be 26 years, but I think I left at 25, at 25 years, which is a long time to stay someplace when you're not happy. Um, and I'm very, I'm really proud of myself for having done that. Um, because I realized one day, I just realized I don't want to die in this marriage. I don't want to be in my nineties and say, geez, 
what the fuck did I do with my life? Um, so I just, you know, I really feel that I've learned more about where I end and the other person begins. Um, yeah, so there you have it. Uh, John. Hi, thank you so much, Kathy. What do you do on a daily uh, basis to maintain your recovery, please? Um, hmm. I eat abstinently. Um, and that's probably, <laughs> that's probably all I do right now. I mean, I don't pray. I don't do a lot of things that, that, you know, a lot of people do. Uh, and if I needed to, I would. I don't write. Uh, sometimes I speak to fellows, which when I do that is really great to connect with someone else. And my instinct, you know, when I'm having a hard time, my instinct is to either call a friend or call a fellow. Um, and, um, um, I speak to my sponsor every week. I connect with my sponsees. Um, and I just, you know, I, I have these quotes that come into my mailbox that are, that are very, that are, um, these wonderful philosophical quotes by various people. And I kind of keep thoughtful during the day. I just keep thoughtful. Um, I am aware of what I'm doing. And, you know, if I find myself like, I, I've just moved into my own apartment for the first time in like 30 years and I'm loving it. And sometimes I just get, like on a tear and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And all of a sudden it's two o'clock and I haven't eaten lunch and I don't care. I'm not hungry. And I can go on like this until four o'clock, but I, I stop and I eat something. I make myself eat my lunch, even though, because I'm running on adrenaline. I know, I know, I know that feeling. And that's a real heady feeling for me to be running on adrenaline, but I stop myself and I eat something and then I feel more sane. And I keep that contract with myself to eat three meals a day. It's very rare. I mean, there are days when maybe I'll eat like a brunch and I don't eat uh, breakfast and lunch. But most days I eat three meals a day. Um, and um, and I, you know, I'm very, I'm just very cognizant of my thoughts. And when my thoughts go awry, I attend to it by either speaking to someone or conjuring it. I rarely write about it. And, you know, I know that that's a good tool, but it's not, and I just don't gravitate towards it. And then, you know, I, I actually, as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm realizing this is something that I would like to do. I would like to write because I haven't really discovered the full, uh, and, and I'm a writer. This is embarrassing. Um, but for some reason, I don't want to write about this stuff, but this would be very illuminating. So thank you for asking that question and reminding me that that's something that I want to do. Thanks, John. Carol. Um, thank you for your share, Kathy. I'm piggybacking a little bit on someone else's question. I think it was Deb's. 
um, about your relationships with your family. And I don't know if your folks are still around, um, but if you if you had, you know, between this program and the other, if you found a way to be at peace with them, um, if they continue to act destructively, how you detach from that, and particularly if you see any of your siblings really not being well, um, but unable to, to, and not asking for help, like how you detach with love from that, or if you figured out a way to help them without them knowing it or something like that. Well, thanks. Okay. Thanks, Carol. Well, my parents are both gone, but they're very much with me. I have my mom's portrait over here and I have, I just put up my dad's picture, that little square one over there. And I put it right next to the thermostat because he used to monitor, he would always monitor us on the thermostat. And I figured I'm going to put him over there so he can, so he can watch me turn up and turn up the thermostat and turn it down as I want to and not as he wants to. Um, yes. Occasionally I hear my parents, uh, not helpful voices in my head. And I realize it. And, and I say, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. You know, one, I'll tell you this interesting little uh, story of, you know, I, I, I mentioned that I became a lot more honest in program. And one day, this is while I was in, when I was in program, my dad was asking me, he's, we were talking about honesty. And he said, well, let me ask you this. You know, this is real New York accent. Let me ask you this. Let's say you're in a restaurant and uh, you get the check and you had a coffee and the coffee's not on the check. What do you do? I say, I, I tell the waiter that that he uh, he or she uh, neglected to charge me for coffee. And my father said, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> that was his response. I mean, that's just stupid. Not that not that's not the way I would do it. No, that's just stupid. And that was my dad. That was my dad. He had very, I would, I would often say that my dad didn't have opinions. He had facts. He believed what was the truth and the absolute truth. And, um, and I can laugh at it now. And, um, sometimes, you know, when I'm buying something and I don't, I don't think I got the best price and I start berating myself and I think, you know what? Big deal. So I didn't get the best price. Who cares? I overpaid on my bed. Big fucking deal. I mean, this was verboten in my family to not get the absolute best price. You have to research and you have to get the best deal. Well, I do my best. I really do my best. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And that's fine. That's really fine. Um, as far as my siblings acting, quote unquote, unwell, I have one sibling who she's just, you know, I, I feel like there's she's stuck in where she is and there's no there's no helping her. I think I think that I think that very rarely can she really hear something. She's very, very stuck and very, very much in the need to she has a great need to be in control. Uh and that's who she is. And I I remove myself, I don't do not let her control me. And if she's controlling a situation and I look at it and I think, oh God, she's really She's going down a bad path there. I just, that's how she just goes down the path. That's her, that's her deal. That's how she lives her life. That's, those are her choices and this is her journey. And this is, these are all going to be her lessons. And, you know, if I'm a big fan of the movie Defending Your Life, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but, you know, you come back 
as many times as you have to in order to quote unquote get it right. It's a it's a wonderful movie if you've never seen it. It's just a brilliant, brilliant uh, idea and a wonderful uh, execution of that idea. And um, and I I look at what that sister and I think, all right, she's gonna she'll be coming back, she'll be coming back. Uh, but it's not my business to make her do things in a specific way. It's just not my business. And a lot of things since I've been in program have become not my business. And, and I like that. Um, Pamela. Thanks, Kathy. Sure. In our few minutes left, can you talk about sponsorship, doing it and being one? Thank you. Uh, sure. I, I don't think I'm great at it to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I'm just like, you know, you know, there are these people in program who do everything really well in program. I'm not one of them. Um, I do what I can do. I do what I can do. And I try to, um, make it work within the, uh, parameters of my life and, and what, where, and what I have room for. I'm I'm someone who who tends to say yes more than I uh need to and sometimes to my own detriment I say yes too much and I spread myself too thin so I'm careful of that um I do I do find that being a sponsor is very illuminating I I love I mean I do love helping people and I do love dialogue and 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 talking philosophy um and I feel that um, um, I do my best in this department. Um, and I feel that I learn a lot from my sponsees. And I love my sponsor. She She's very uh, forgiving and um, easy. I've had sponsors before who've been like really regimented and that didn't work for me. So that, that was- that's time for Q&A. Oh, that's time for Q and A. Well, let me just let me just finish. By I, I think I pretty much finished. I mean, I hope I answered uh, your question to some degree, Pamela. And I'm really sorry, Ryan, that there was no chance to get to your question. But if you have something to ask me, I'm going to put my phone number in the chat. 